Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Well, it's the day before Halloween. We're going to tell some ghost stories. Hope that you'll participate. Uh, here's a, a sample. A while back on Access Utah, a Glenn in the Ona Basin shared this story. He says, I used to haul crude oil from oil wells. We have an area in central Duchesne County called Coke Field. It was originally operated by the infamous Coke Brothers business and developed in the 70s and 80s. The Coke Field is very remote, quite rugged. Many oil field workers claim to have seen a headless horseman. I first heard about this when I was dispatched to load out in the field, probably 1999. Legend has it that the local natives beheaded a party of Spanish prospectors, and this headless horseman is one of them. Many of my former crude haulers refused to go into the coke field at night. So that's a good story. Thanks, uh, Glenn, for sharing that. Uh, Daniel, you were here on the on the program. Supposed to be a program about about old Ephraim, but then we got <laughs> off onto some other things, and that was one of the results. Local legends are an amazing thing that lead that direction a lot. <laughs> So Daniel Bishop, storyteller, is with us, and uh, Lynn McNeil, a USU folklorist, is with us. Thanks for coming in. Glad to be here. Um, so let me start. Uh, let me start, uh, Daniel. You've been, uh, you know, it's a big time of year for you. Any, any, any of, uh, especially Halloween uh, as a storyteller. What's what's the attraction? Do you think? What do you, what do people want when they come to hear stories from you? Well, uh, for ghost stories specifically, there's this uh, wonderful need that we humans have to practice our. Uh, fight or flight response without actually having any danger. I mean, uh, as far as I know, humans are the only uh, creature on earth that uh, purposely creates fear inside of them, except maybe jackrabbits trying to run across the road. Mm -hmm. Um, We we love to have that adrenaline rush. And ghost stories are a safe way to do that without actually... (laughs) getting into trouble. It's an amazing, amazing euphoria that comes. I also believe that uh, hearing the ghost stories is one of those uh, mechanisms that triggers something in us that helps us become uh, better. I've been saying it lately. In the darker stories we tell, we find our greatest fears and in turn, then our greatest hopes. Hmm, interesting. Lynn McNeil, I wonder if you you agree. What, what, what is that impulse, do you think? I think we've always had this to, yeah. to get scared. I would agree. We th- this is when we look at ghost stories and scary stories, we are talking about a type of folklore that has never waned. You know, it I mean, we've seen other types of folklore, fairy tales fall in and out of oral circulation, certain kind of jokes seem limited to different age groups and things like that, but ghost stories and scary stories everybody tells them all the time. Certainly they coalesce mm. at this time of year and I think I think yeah, on the one hand we we are seeing this sort of safe zone for being afraid. Some part of us wants to, you know, flex those scare muscles without being truly in danger. And this gives us a, a chance to, to do that as well. And I think it also gives us the opportunity to deal in possibilities. That's really the, the legend genre of story, which is what folklorists would say we're dealing with here, deals in possibility, much more than impossibility. And so you hear these stories and just as you guys were describing, one story gets told and then another and then another. And then people are debating, could that really be? Well, my dad said he saw this. Well, my best friend had this happen. And and it encourages discussion and speculation and creativity and imagination. And it's, I think, you know, some people will claim that the more scientifically 
educated we become, the more these stories will fade away. And mm. I think that is absolutely not true. I think mm. these stories do so much for us that we will tell them forever. I wonder, um, does it matter if they're true? And I'm thinking of this story <laughs> from Glenn. The, the part that gets me, that makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck, is the fact that his former crude hauler colleagues won't go into that coke field at night. They believe they believe there's something there. Yeah, and I think that that's that's really the key. And I think we don't even need things to be 100 percent proven true to find them excitingly frightening. I think if we know that something is 100 percent false, which is often we hear stories that we know are fictional, they're still great. They're still good stories. But opening the door to that element of possibility to say these intelligent thinking people won't go in this field at night, you know, and it's not just one guy with, you know, a, a fun story to tell. It's this this whole group of people believes that this at least could be real enough that they're not going to take their chances. I feel like that casts us into a whole different realm of thought and realm of thinking because we're suddenly forced to say, well, do I think that could be possible? And mm. what most people find is they might find someone else's story unbelievable but then they have their own mm -hmm. that yeah. of, of something that they can't quite explain away that isn't perfectly logically, you know, unfolded. And and that becomes an interesting point of study as, as well, what that is for each individual person. Yeah. So, Daniel, uh, you know, if we if we take this discussion uh, maybe to to Logan and, and a famous <laughs> ghost in 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 Logan, uh, you know, if you invited me, I probably wouldn't come to you at night. After hours to the uh, to the to the uh, lyric theater, right? Oh, because I I don't know if I want to encounter Everett. So oh, tell us about Everett first. Oh, and oh er Everett is such a fun uh, a, a fun specter. Anyway, uh, he won't hurt you. You can go in there at night. It, well, there might be areas you shouldn't go if you follow all the legend. Um, but as far as it goes, uh, the 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 tales of Everett are supported by so many uh, circumstantial evidences that, like we were saying, it it. Well, is it true? Well, look, you'll see that chandelier swinging when it shouldn't. And Everett swings that chandelier when he's when he's around. Uh, I personally have worked in that theater late at night building set, and I have heard things in there that make me say, hi, Everett, I'm here too, and away we go. But when you hear the story uh, about Everett, where, where he comes from uh, – in brief, he was grave digger number two in Hamlet coming through on a touring company. And as I heard it, uh, he was in love with the actress who was playing Ophelia. And so was Hamlet. And a duel ensued here in Logan where Hamlet won. And depending on what sources you look to, he's either buried in between uh, on, in the tunnels on the street or underneath the male, uh, men's dressing room down below. But Everett is still there. And the evidences of that are he was in Logan. We have we have a bill. We have a playbill with his name on it. But their next stop in San Francisco, he was not with them. Hmm. And so that that's historically – you can look that up historically. So what happened to Everett? Well, he's still here. Yeah. Yeah. So, see, he's he's somewhat benign. I guess he's uh, – the legend has he's not harming people. Well, he's just a trickster. He yeah. has fun. There are some other legends where, you know, you, you, there's more jeopardy, right? Oh, very much so. In fact, uh, 
I'll, I'll put in a plug right now. Tonight at Stokes Nature Center, I'm going to be telling uh, uh, ghost stories of Logan Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, let's face it, the nunnery is infamous for its dangerous haunt. Um, while most people will only get to hear the baby crying by the swimming pool, if you linger and you actually meet her, well, then other things can happen. I'll save that for tonight, though. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but you can't, I guess if you go up there, you could hear the baby crying by the that, that's, if you If you go up and pool. you su- sit by the swimming pool, you'll, you will hear a baby cry. Um, if you look into the trees, you may even get to see the red eyes of her dogs mm. uh, roaming the trees. Or you could hear her screaming through the canyon. Those are the sounds that you'll hear. Uh, other reports are people feeling pressure on their back, pushing them in to the swimming pool to join the baby's cries. Also, uh, they'll see people standing on the bridge looking at the cars go by. And it's it's a there's a lot of legend around that place. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of scary. That's <laughs> I'm getting a little creeped out here, and I'm not. I'm you know I'm nowhere close to the canyon. Well, I guess we're somewhat close, but we're, we're not always in the canyon. close to the we're canyon. We're always close to the canyon. Uh, so so Lynn McNeil, um, it's I think it's this fascination with something that might be true or an experience that you like you said where you have an experience that you can't quite explain away. Yeah, exactly, and and I think the the nunnery is a great example because it. It's one of the key locations for what folklorists call legend tripping, which is basically like a field trip to a legend site. And, you know, informally planned. This is you and your friends sitting around, maybe telling stories, what you've heard about, you know, a place like the nunnery or perhaps the weeping woman statue in the Logan Cemetery. And you decide to go check it out. I mean, this is this is one of the great values of local legends. You can say, well, let's let's go find out. Let's go see. Let's go try this for ourselves. So it's a very interactive, sort of engaging type of folklore that we have when you can run your own experiments and see how it works and decide for yourself. And there are people who walk away saying, well, that was a dud and nothing happened. But most people will walk away with something, something Mm -hmm. that they can't account for. A lot of people who arrive at Um, supernatural legend tripping sites by car, find their car won't start, um, things like that. And of course, the stories of those legend tripping experiences join the original story of what made that place special to begin with. And it just, it grows exponentially into this bigger and bigger body of stories, all of which are informing each other and all of which are sort of present while you're there, it's hard to not be creeped out if you're, you know, you can feel the weight of all these cumulative experiences in this one location. I want us to say, talking about legend tripping, uh, as, as a legend tripper, as a storyteller, I go to these places, but I want people to know, please, if you're going legend tripping and you're on private property, ask. Mm, Dangerous, bad, uh, horrible, scary situations happen that have nothing to do with ghosts or specters happen to people who go legend tripping without permission or without knowing their area. There was uh, legend trippers down south who were investigating a haunted bridge, and they forgot to check to see that the train tracks were still active and that there was a train scheduled and one of them did not get off the bridge before the dra- train came across, and there was a death. So please, <laughs> if you're going legend tripping, ask. Mm. 
and it it just, it just makes it safe. Also, those who don't and cause trouble in those areas, for the rest of us, we don't get a chance to go legend tripping there because then fences get put up, guards get placed, and we all lose out. So please respect while you're legend tripping. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more with Daniel Bishop, the storyteller, and USU folklorist Lynn McNeil. We're telling ghost stories on the program today. We're asking why. Why why has this impulse always been there? Seems like it always has been, including up till today. Daniel Bishop was just uh, giving ghost tours, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he'll be telling stories uh, in uh, the Stokes Nature Center, 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, more information at logannature.org. Um, and I'm going to share this. It's it's on Wikipedia, but I think, you know, it doesn't have to be totally factual. I was just, uh, t- that was one of the points we made early in the program. Uh, I was just tooling around, uh, as you do, I, I can't remember, I think it's through sports, and I was curious about Arizona University sports teams. And I got to this section, which surprised me. I went to Northern Arizona University online, and uh, there's a section called Hauntings. So we'll tell the story of Kathy the Ghost in Morton Hall on the campus of Northern Arizona University. We'll have some more stories following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread, located at 300 South and 300 West in Logan featuring savory European-style breakfast treats, such as quiches and a revolving menu of lunch sandwiches, such as artichoke basil and fresh mozzarella. Information at crumbbrothers.com. This is Ira Glass of This American Life. Oh, my God. One thing I really like in a radio story... What's back there? Nothing. It looks empty. No, there's someone living back there. ...is a mystery. I'm not going back there. There's somebody's hair. There's a head in there. There's a shrunken head right there. Mysteries explained each week. This American Life. It's Santa Claus. Sunday afternoon at 2 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm joined today on the day before Halloween. We're telling ghost stories. We invite you to tell yours by USU folklorist Lynn McNeil and storyteller Daniel Bishop. Uh, Daniel has an event tonight at 7 o'clock at the Stokes Nature Center, which is partway up Logan Canyon. Add to the... uh, Not too far. far. Okay. So safely. Easily. Okay. Uh, You'll you'll be safe there, but you'll hear some scary stories. We're hearing uh, some uh, on the program today. And we'd love to hear yours. We, uh, at the beginning of the program, told the one from uh, Glenn, who uh, called in or emailed in uh, previously on the program, about a headless horseman in an oil field in Duchesne County. Uh, so that's that's uh, pretty creepy um, for these, these oil field workers who've seen this headless horseman. And he says that some of his colleagues refuse to go into that oil field. Uh, so we're talking about why we like to get scared, what what that does for us, and uh, mostly we don't want to hear some stories. So the number, we're opening the phone lines, 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, and you can join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Uh, so um, we have uh, this question uh, by email, uh, anything on the uh, weeping widow in the cemetery? Oh, then you know about this. The weeping woman is such a wonderful, wonderful story. Um, uh, Heart wrenchingly sad. The 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 Cronquist family uh, 
uh, has the information out there. Unfortunately, there's so many wrong tales of it. Uh, this poor woman lost uh, five of her eight children in childhood uh, due to various diseases. She suffered from scarlet fever herself and literally died of a broken heart. And her husband, to honor her so uh, so much, she would while she was alive, she would visit the plots and and sit amongst the graves of her children and cry. And so when she died, he commissioned a statue to be brought in of a woman crying uh, to be placed in her stead. Now, that's all history. Uh, what's interesting is, is the woman cries. The statue will cry. Uh, you go in there, uh, full moon uh, is a common time also on the anniversary of her children's death. And if you go in and you talk about how, how sad it is for young children to die, you can look up at the statue and see tear streaks coming from her eyes. Uh, I have seen this. And it can be explained, uh, you know, humidity. Oh, it whatever, defi- you know, oh, it most you- definitely can be explained. It's a very porous rock. They mm-hmm. water the cemetery very nicely. The rock sucks in the water when it gets cold at night. The water condenses in the open eye sockets and right. leaks out. Uh, so scientifically, you can explain that part. But what you can't explain is the sound of crying that goes along mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's important to wow. note, I always find this to be an, a fun twist to put on things when we think about the supernatural explanation and the scientific explanation of something, we usually go with the scientific explanation explaining away the supernatural. And I think it is much more fun to look at it and think that maybe the supernatural explanation explains the prevalence of the scientific phenomenon. Perhaps mm-hmm. that, you know, there if we have a, a just a wretchedly grief-stricken spirit there, you know, maybe the system of, you know, humidity, condensation, morning dew, sprinklers, whatever's making this happen is simply the mechanism through which her grief gets expressed. Right, That's right. Yeah. much much more fun to look at the world that way. Yeah. Than yeah. To yeah. explain away yeah. everything. And speaking of the weeping woman, I'll make my own pitch that the USU Folklore Society is going to be at the weeping woman um, Halloween evening. Okay. Um, encouraging students to do some legend tripping for themselves. Yeah. Try it out. I think they're planning to Bring a mirror, maybe test out some Bloody Mary as well. So if you're, you know, a little too chicken to do it on your own, there's safety in numbers. Halloween night at the Weeping Woman. Uh, Is is there safety in numbers with uh, with Bloody Mary? Yeah, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Where where do you meet? Just uh, Um, just show up there? Yeah, if you're familiar with the location of the statue in the – there are cemetery maps that the Folklore Archives has that tend to confuse students more than help because the street names – appear to be referencing the larger city. And really, the the Logan Cemetery is a city unto itself. It's a city of the dead. So it has its own Main Street and its own Center Street separate from those in the city of Logan. But it's hard to miss that statue. She's pretty prominent in the landscape. All right. So there's an opportunity for you if you'd like to to participate. Um, So, Lynn, uh, this question first to you. Um, It seems like one of the impulses here is, uh, you know, the dead are very present. Mm. Or at least, or at least in, in many cases, we want them to be. Yeah, and, and I so think we're seeking a connection. I think that's true, and I think that we have a huge number of ghost stories in our lives that are not scary, and that's important to remember too. Is that it's not all horror or gore or psychological torment. There are many, many stories of ghosts who provide comfort, of ghosts who let the living know that the deceased are okay, are present, are helping, are guiding. There's um, 
a story that appears all over the country that has often been told here in Sardine Canyon of a driver who's going through the canyon and sees a woman on the side of the road flagging down you know, drivers for help. And he pulls his car over and she says, I drove off the road. My kids are in the car. I need some help. She runs back down. He calls for assistance. The police and fire truck come and everything. And they go down and find the car and are able to rescue the two children. And when the motorist asks about, you know, can can I say goodbye to the mother? Can I talk to her? Something the the police or the, you know, EMTs seem confused and say, no, she she didn't make it. She was trapped in the car and died on impact. And that it's it's eerie, it's spooky, but what better idea is there than that a mother's love for her children mm-hmm. can, you know, project her out of that car to get her children help even after she's died. That's just I think that's a very reassuring story for all its creepiness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're both elements. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Daniel, on this oh, the, the, side of connection? That one, that wonderful, uh, half spooky, half comforting, the the old legend of the trail, where the uh, frontier store owner uh, had a, a strange woman come into his store, uh, and offered to pay jewelry for a can of milk, and it happens three nights in a row, and then a wagon train comes in, and he, he has the jewelry displayed on the counter that was traded and the wagon master recognizes it as a woman that they've buried on the trail. They go back, they dig up the grave and find that she is in fact dead, but her baby who was buried with her is alive and there oh. are three cans of milk wow. in the grave. This, the the idea that a mother, even after death, is able to protect and care for her children until somebody else can is is a is a wonderful long legend and mm-hmm. it, while it doesn't keep you up at night or give you nightmares it does give you that little yeah yeah tingle kind of creeps you out a little bit yeah <laughs> even though the 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 actions are benign and and you know trying to save their their loved ones uh, i wonder um and i'll start with this with, with lynn again um you were talking about how isn't it a better way to look at this that the, mm. the supernatural can explain the science rather than the the, the other way around. And I think that's the impulse sometimes for ghost hunters. Yeah, I think the that's... Paranormal societies. They actually go out and with their machinery and... Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that, that's important to remember is when we talk about the supernatural, we're not talking inherently spooky or creepy. We're just talking outside what we currently understand about nature. And of course, what we currently understand about nature is constantly changing. We used to think lightning was supernatural. Now we understand the scientific principles by which it works. It's no longer supernatural to us. And I think with ghost hunters, we see that similar desire to find the natural in the supernatural. What's going on here? What On what frequency are these ghosts existing and, and all of that? And I think it's a a really interesting arena of consideration because for, for anyone who's seen the the fruits of ghost hunters labors the photographs of ghost orbs and vortexes and and things like this most people outside of the ghost hunting team themselves are not convinced by by this evidence and we think but this is the kind of evidence we like in our scientific rational minded society mm-hmm. when really what's going to convince us is a totally subjective personal experience mm-hmm. and and that's 
I think fascinating. I talked with a bunch of ghost hunters a while ago for a project I was doing, and they they supported that. They said, we're not here to prove this to anyone but ourselves. We've had experiences that we want to understand more. And so so they they have that personal experience and are now sort of bringing the scientific to bear on it. So sort of marrying those two worldviews of the, you know, scientific rationalist and the traditional supernaturalist. Mm. And Daniel, this uh, ghost hunters always exist, right? We just have new technology right. where, where you could post these pictures online and, <laughs> and your, your evidence so-called. What do you you talk to ghost hunters? I uh, I, I expect. Uh, oh, yes. What what do you hear? Similar to what Lynn was saying. Well, yeah, actually, it's it's amazing to me. Um, with, with, you know, they they do talk about they're trying to prove it to themselves. I come back to the old adage: to the believer, no proof is necessary; to the disbeliever, no proof is sufficient. And uh, that's exactly what the ghost hunters are. They they all fall in the category the the regular people look at them as uh, crazy people going around using weird equipment to do weird stuff while they're looking at themselves as trying to further science. As a storyteller, I'm looking at them as a great source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they do find some amazing things. This this year on the ghost tour, I was telling uh, ghosts in the uh, J.R. J. Edwards building on Main Street. And they were uh, there was a couple of paranormal researchers in the back. And as I was telling the story, uh, he said he had come up with his recorder and had recorded the sound of the ghost story I was telling, not my voice, but hers. And uh, he played it for me, and there is definitely a sound there. He played it for several people. Some scoffed and thought, oh, my goodness. Others went, <gasps> and all that matters is, is what do you believe? Mm. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you want to creep yourself out this Halloween, check online. You know, Do a Google search for what... Ghost hunters would call electronic voice phenomena or EVP. And that's what this is, this, you know, audio recording, picking up sounds that human ears can't hear. Um, And it is it's half the people will listen to it and say that's just white noise. And the other half will listen to it and hear often context specific words or terms or sounds that relate to the story that's taking place there. And you can. Well, in my opinion, you can be a pretty big skeptic and still wind up definitely with, you know, the chills from (laughs) listening to enough of those. Uh, That sounds like it. Um, And as you said, Lynn, uh, often ghost hunters have had an experience. Yeah. And and they're they're trying to pursue this. That's what I think is the really the important thing to remember is that there's always a story there. It's never someone who has never experienced anything unexplainable, has no interest in the supernatural, who's just, you know, white coat scientist, like, I think I'm going to start the search for ghosts. You know, I'll get back to my botany work later. It's it's people who have had an experience that they want to understand better. And almost always that experience is personal, subjective, you know, based in a story or expressed in a story. And. And I think it's I think for me, it's fun to remember that that those stories are at the heart of ghost hunting for as, you know, scientific and technology ridden as it looks. You know, you go in with your night vision cameras and your thermometers to measure cold spots in the room and your Geiger counters and all of this stuff at the root of all of that is still a story. And and for the results of those studies to convince people, I think it's best when there's a, a story present there, too. Mm-hmm. 
That well, that's just life. Mm-hmm. There's always yeah. a story present, and it's always better to hear the story. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're we're all about stories, aren't we? And yes. The human beings. Uh, if you just joined us, we're talking uh, ghost stories. We're it's the day before Halloween. Uh, there are some opportunities for you if you're going to be in the Logan area to uh, to get scared in a group is, I guess, always safer. Um, and Daniel Bishop is going to be telling stories tonight at Stokes Nature Center uh, at the mouth of Logan Canyon, uh, 7 o'clock, um, and more, more information at loganature.org. Lynn McNeil, USU Folklorist, is with us, and uh, she tells us that the USU Folklore Society is going to be at the cemetery, Logan Cemetery, Halloween night, um, and including at the, the, the Weeping Woman. Yep. Uh, statue or, or monument, I guess. Uh, so those are some opportunities for you. Perhaps you'd like to uh, to give us some <clears throat> events in your area as well, and we'd especially love to hear a story or read a story if you'd like to email it to us. Upraxis at gmail.com. Upraxis at gmail.com. You can join us on Twitter, at Utah Public Radio, and we're on Facebook as well. Uh, and you can call us, 1-800-826-1495. one 826 1495 Glenn sent in a few months ago that uh, great story about the headless horseman in the oil field out in Duchesne County. Love to get your story as well. Uh, I promised this, and uh, I'll, I'll go here. I stumbled on this just by accident, uh, you know, Tooling around the internet, I started out, I think, on sports, and I got into Arizona universities. And 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 here's the story on the campus of Northern Arizona University in the beautiful town of Flagstaff. Uh, this is on Wikipedia. Um, they say the story variations surrounding Kathy's death. So this is Kathy the ghost in Morton Hall. Uh, the most common is that in 1953, she hanged herself in Morton Hall over the Christmas break after being abandoned by her boyfriend. Since that time, Morton Hall residents have reported witnessing many mysterious events, including lights flickering on and off, footsteps in the hallways when no one's there, the sound of sobbing, doors opening or locking them by themselves, radios tuned to 1950s music, and a ghostly woman in a nightgown wandering through the building at night. And they quote Amity France, former resident of Morton Hall, reporting to the Arizona Daily Sun. So she says, a little creepy coming to the building at night. You think, please don't let there be a ghost behind the door when I come in. The worst part is, if you don't have your key ready and you look around, you say, oh, Kathy, where are you? Uh, so uh, Morton Hall was listed as the number nine in the list of infamously haunted places in Arizona. So just reading that, I'm, I'm getting a little creeped out. Um, what? <laughs> and and we, were, we were talking before we went on there, Lynn, um, that you haven't heard of many, uh, at least in Utah, residence hall ghosts, but but there are plenty of sorority and, and fraternity. Oh yeah, ghosts. and and other campus buildings being haunted as well. I think well, one, if anyone out there listening knows about a haunted residence hall at USU, I want to know about it. So call in. But two, I think university life and ghost stories just go hand in hand so perfectly. You know, if you think about it, ghosts are defined by being liminal, right? They're they're in between. They're not dead. Technically, they're around and they're not alive. They're they're not, you know, not dead either, which is a a very sort of confusing, you know, ambiguous time, I imagine. I've never been a ghost, but another confusing, ambiguous liminal time is college, right? You are in be- I mean, it is by definition a temporary state of being. You're no longer a child living with your parents, but you're not quite yet full adult out on your own in the workforce doing all of that. And I think that so many stories about ghosts on college campuses 
deal in people who get trapped in that liminality. So like Kathy, who's hung herself due to the the stresses of college relationships. Um, and, and I think we see that as well. One of my favorite campus stories here is um, of a young woman who was a performance major who played the piano um, at USU and was set to perform on graduation night before she um, was able to, though she passed away. And you can hear her, people will say, sort of a ghostly piano music playing through campus at night. And the idea, of course, is that it's still her. She's still playing, still waiting for that graduation night. She's never left campus. Yeah, and that's, I I think, part of what really gets me when I hear some of these stories is a lot of these ghost stories, Daniel, are, are people that get stuck. They're, oh, yeah. They're, they're stuck at, at, at some point, and including stuck between two worlds. It's it's stuck in a way of either of their own choosing. They refuse to move on, but they can't come back. Or it's stuck because they don't know where they are. A lot like like the piano player, she doesn't know she's not playing for people anymore, and so she continues to play. Or like Everett, he knows he's gone, but he doesn't want to move on. He wants to stay where he was happy, which is in the theater. And so... Yeah, that, that's that's the definition. The the unfinished business is is always a, a prevalent part of, of many ghost stories. Here's an email. <clears throat> um, the emailer says, I've heard about a haunting at uh, Utah State University's Valley View Hall on the second floor. RAs and cleaners would hear running down the hall when they were there alone and doors closing when it was empty in the summer. The emailer writes, spooky, <laughs> which that is kind of spooky. So there, there's an answer to your question. Lynn. Awesome. Thank you. Um, uh, here at uh, Utah State University. If you have a, uh, a spooky story, ghost story, we'd love to hear it. 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. Or just something you, experience you had you just can't explain. Sometimes you you don't know what it was. I think most of us have had those kind of experiences. 1-800-826-1495. You can join us at upraxis at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio, also on our Facebook page. We'll take another break. When we come back, more with uh, Daniel Bishop, the storyteller, and uh, Lynn McNeil. Uh, USU folklorist, uh, and a couple of opportunities for you if you're going to be in the Logan area tonight. Stokes Nature Center in Logan Canyon at seven o'clock. Daniel Bishop will be telling some stories, and uh, Halloween night you can join the USU Folklore Society in the Logan Cemetery. Uh, so more following break. Utah is home to 18 species of bats. This Thursday at 10 a.m. on the Zesty Garden, Michael Wolf helps us understand this often misunderstood mammal. And yes, you can. It becomes a little more clear from Adri Roberts why your canning jars sometimes don't seal. Then Helen Cannon in Petals and Prose continues with Victory Gardens in World War II and the sacrifices everyone made. Curiously, women's rubber foundation garments were listed as essential to the war effort. It's the Zesty Garden, Thursday mornings at 10 from Utah Public Radio. Don't miss your appointment for fun on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. It'll be a jam-packed hour on healthy living, including this tasty recipe for... Mushroom and greens panini. We always have a great time. So will you on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. PRI, Public Radio International. Saturday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio.
Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Our last segment for today on ghost stories, and you're welcome to join the conversation. We'd love to hear your ghost story. 1-800-826-1495. We have about 15 minutes left in the program. By the way, at the end of the program, we're going to hear a Halloween commentary from USU English professor Pat Gant. She says she hates Halloween, can't stand it. That's a kind of a contrarian point of view, but she's had some experiences. You'll hear about that. That's at the end of the program today. Um, and uh, But in the meantime, we're talking with USU folklorist Lynn McNeil and with uh, Daniel Bishop, the storyteller. A couple of events, if you're going to be in the Logan area, Daniel Bishop is telling ghost stories tonight at Stokes Nature Center, 7 o'clock. More information, uh, loganature.org. That's uh, a bit up Logan Canyon. And uh, you, if you'd like to join the USU Folklore Society, they're going to be on Halloween night at the Logan Cemetery. Something, I guess, appropriate about that, Lynn. We go to the cemetery. Absolutely, right? I mean, this is the, the, the epicenter. If we want to start interacting consciously, purposefully with the dead, we should go to where they are, right? right? And that's that, that's a common thing that we see, I think, that, that ghosts become sort of localized. And obviously there's, you know, good reason that that would be in a cemetery, but in haunted houses or theaters, things like that, places, locations of, of demise we sort of see as being marked by that experience. Yeah. Daniel, what uh, do you see differences in what kids want versus what adults want in terms oh, of stories? Oh, very much. Uh, it, it's interesting as I go out and tell stories to kids, they all want to be more scared than they really do. <laughs> uh, and adults, uh, one thing I've discovered with them is while they claim they want uh, the – we talked about the gore and, and the excitement like in some of the horror movies, when they really enjoy it is when they hear a much more subtle version of mm. the story. Uh, that the the lasting fear, the one that you think about later, is what they really want to come back to. It lingers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You, you sort of creep yourself out many hours after the fact or days after. Yeah. The story that makes you uh, go, revert to your childhood where you can't let your hands or feet hang over the side of the bed at night because you don't know what's going to reach up from underneath and grab you. Yeah. Uh, Lynn, um, I was thinking about superstitions, mm-hmm. and uh, there's one I'll admit that I subscribe to. Um, I, I've heard, and you know, you can logic tells you this is just bunk, but uh, the old superstition that you don't leave a rocking chair rocking mm-hmm. is a ghost will come and sit in it. <laughs> I always stop the rocking chair. Nice. Because I don't want the ghost to come and sit. Yes, I think that's quite rational of you, Tom. Yeah, good, good plan. I, I'm just protecting myself. Exactly. There, there, I mean, there are many superstitions. <clears throat> yeah, there are, and it's, you know, it's really interesting. I was looking over some sort of, you know, Gallup style poll, and it was saying that uh, the majority of the respondents, when asked, you know, do you believe? In superstitions, or I, I don't remember if it was specific ones or if they were asking the question generally, and everyone said no. And I think the problem is it's not really a yes or no issue. I mean, if I were pressed and someone said, do you believe in you know, such and such a superstition, I would, if my only options are yes or no, I would say no. I'm an intelligent, modern person. Of course not. But the truth is, is that most of us take something of a better safe than sorry attitude with mm-hmm. superstition. And it's it's interesting to to talk to people about because most people are embarrassed, you know, a little bit, you know, sheepish that they might avoid stepping on a crack on the sidewalk, that they might not pick up a penny if it's tail up, that they might back out from under a ladder <laughs> if they started walking <laughs> under. And it's sort of this, you know, 
what if? What if something bad happens and I had the opportunity to avoid it? And I think with superstitions, they're almost always, by definition, brief and dealing with cause and effect. And anytime we see something dealing with cause and effect, we're looking at control, our ability to control the uncontrollable, right? Wearing a lucky shirt during a sporting event, something like that. It's what if it did matter mm-hmm. and I had the opportunity to control destiny and I didn't and better safe than sorry. So we wear our lucky shirts and we don't wash them because luck washes out, right? right we right. all know that. Um, and it's it's a surprisingly common brain mechanism yeah. for humans. Even among otherwise totally rational people. Absolutely. And that's that's one of the big pushes these days in the study of the supernatural is to open the door to rationality without having to agree with the conclusions that someone has drawn. So mm-hmm. for a long time, academics, you know, as they do sometimes, were very judgy about people <laughs> who believed in stuff. And it would sort of be like, oh, well, they believe this because they're uneducated or don't know any better. And now it's like, oh, no, that's not true. You know, there is no correlation between believing in things and not being educated or not being intelligent. Very intelligent, educated people believe in all sorts of crazy supernatural things. And so to be able to say sometimes there's rationality there. I don't have to agree that what you saw was Bigfoot, but I can agree that you were an intelligent thinking person in that moment that you deduced you saw Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. Um, That's an important step, I think, in, in thinking about the supernatural. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, I wonder. Um, I'd like to hear another story. Do you have another? Do you have a story oh, that you could? I, we're just here, here, here having a, a great time with superstitions. Uh, one of the best urban legends. It's been around ever since the Greek time, but we keep telling it over and over and over again. And, and the and the most modern version is is a woman is driving home. It's late at night. She's alone. She's in a hurry. She's kind of tired. But this car has been following her ever since she left the parking lot. And every once in a while, the bright lights will just flash at her right in her eyes. And she's trying to get away. She speeds up, but the car stays with her. She she fumbles for her phone, but of course she can't call. It's, it's night in the car. She can't get it going. Finally, in desperation, she speeds as fast as she can. She pulls in to the first uh, big public parking lot she can find. She pulls up right in front of all the people. She looks back in her rearview mirror, and the car is still right behind her. She thought, this would definitely shake him. She gets out. She confronts the man. Why are you doing? What are you doing to me? And he points and says, I've been flashing you every time the man in your back seat rises up with the axe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, you, you were creeped out for a different reason than you thought, right? <laughs> right. And yeah. What's fun about that one is is how many of you right now are thinking, well, yeah, I always check my back seat before I get in the car. Yeah, oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do. And in part because of that story. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or check yeah. under your car yeah. Oh, yeah. for the ankle slasher mm-hmm. before you get in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder, uh, uh, we have another emailer who's wondering about uh, Lynn and Dan. Uh, do either of you have your own personal ghost experiences? Oh, well, uh <laughs> You you can't and and being a story a ghost storyteller you can't have things that make you go I don't quite understand. I was in a, a Salt Lake. I was telling in a backyard ghost story party. They had one of those metal uh, fire pits, portable fire pit, and we were going to tell around the fire, but they couldn't get the fire started. They couldn't get the fire started. It was just smoking, and so they moved it behind me because that's the wind was blowing the smoke away from the group. 
And I was telling the story about Jean-Baptiste, the grave robber of the uh, Salt Lake Cemetery down there. And I got to the point in the story where I said, but we don't know where he is. But some say he's still wandering with us. And suddenly the fire lit. Mm. And not just a little fire, it roared to life behind me like I had it on a timer and pushed the button for just that right moment. And since then, every time I tell the story of Jean-Baptiste, there's always some weird thing that happens, especially when I'm in Salt Lake, close to the cemetery or out by Antelope Island where he disappeared. There's always that acknowledgement from the supernatural that I can't explain. Wow, that's that's kind of spooky. I, and I think my predilection would be to stop telling the story. <laughs> oh, no, that just makes uh, but, it better. Yeah. I invite him along. Yeah, but maybe I guess maybe he likes having the story told. Um, and he's helping you out. Lynn, I don't know yeah. if you've had any experiences. You know, not not personally with ghosts necessarily, but but in the, the realm of other potentially unexplainable things. Um, I had a very strange dream once where my mother was in the hospital. And I remember this very clear, it was a very stressful dream. And I had a very clear vision that as they were wheeling her into a room for surgery, she was lying on her face face down. And I remember in the dream panicking and thinking, I hope the doctors remember to flip her over before the surgery. And I wrote it off as a bad dream. And the next day, my mother called me. She said, honey, now I don't want you to panic. But I had to go to the hospital last night. And of course, I immediately remember my dream and think, oh, am I psychic? Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, whatever that, you know, could be random. And so she was talking to me about it. it was a minor thing that sent her there. And I was asking her how it had gone. And she said the only strange moment was when they had to do a fluid extraction from her lungs. And she said, and I had to lie down so they could go in through my back. Wow. And I remember just silence on the phone. And and that was that was for me that sort of stands out as the single most unexplainable sort of eerie moment that I was apparently there with my mother. Hmm. And what what do you do? What what do you do with that? How do you? Man, I I don't even know. I told my mom. She you know, in in good mom fashion, she took it as a sign of how much we love each other. Yeah, that, yeah. that and I think that is one of those. Mm-hmm. That, that's a common experience for people, you know. I mean, even just the minor thing that I know a lot of people have experienced of thinking of someone and then they, they call or text or, you know, that, that those small little ways in which we sort of go, there's something more than the physical plane mm-hmm. at operation here. Yeah, yeah. I think we've all had those moments. We just have a couple minutes left, uh, two or three minutes, um, maybe starting with Daniel with, with this one. I wonder, we referenced this earlier in the show. Um, the fact that you might think that technology would lessen all, all, all of this, you know, uh, uh, interest in, um, you know, fascination with supernatural, but it's it's just it's just continued. Well, the internet has actually heightened the ability for a story and an urban legend to spread so fast. Uh, we were talking about it. The legendary Slender Man officially was created in 2007. 14 years later, he is the biggest urban legend ever. Tell He's, me about Slenderman. Oh, people don't know. Oh. <laughs> Where to begin? How to, how to start Slenderman. Uh, Slenderman is a 
a creature. He's called a dark fairy or a demon. He's tall, uh, abnormally tall for a human. His arms and legs are also extendedly long and can stretch. He has no face. It's just a white, blank head, no features at all. Uh, some of the stories talk about tentacles being able to come from his back. And he abducts children, and adults have no power to stop him. When an adult comes into his presence, they become violently ill and cannot move. And so he is the ultimate boogeyman. He trumps just about every boogeyman you can possibly mm-hmm. come by. He showed up on the Something Awful website, which is a site based on creating uh, basically hoaxes for fun. And But he... Once he was revealed, he has spread. He's taken on a life of his own. He's got his own video games. He's permeated even into the Disney culture where there's Disney programs where you'll see him drawn in the background. And the scariest thing about him is he's penetrated our culture so much that there uh, earlier this year there were two young girls who wanted to impress him by killing their classmate, which you'd think would stop such a legend but it has only increased his popularity. And that, that's the way these things happen, isn't it, isn't it Lynn? Uh, so, so Slenderman, that's something that was created recently, but it's just really taken off. Yeah, and that's, it, it's a wonderful, folklorists are so excited, not of course when you know young girls are trying to murder their classmates, but when something like this takes off so wonderfully, you know, we folklorists make a distinction between literature and folklore, the stuff that comes to us sort of in the more institutionalized form of books versus sort of, you know, the the ever-changing oral culture. And the Internet is sort of wonderfully in between those two things. You know, we can we can find, we can Google the origins of Slenderman in the Something Awful forums and, and see the first two images that were created of him. But... The, the playing field gets muddied so quickly. People are backfilling Slender Man's history. You can find what appear to be incredibly realistic ancient wood cuttings of a Slender Man-like figure that casts that certainty of the 2007 emergence of this figure into doubt. And, and you know, we have artful, creative people online who are blurring that boundary of truth and fiction. We'll have to leave it there. We're out of time. We'll leave it with the Slender Man. Uh, tonight at the Stokes Nature Center, uh, Daniel Bishop will be uh, will be presenting at uh, 7 o'clock. And the uh, USU Folklore Club will be at the Logan Cemetery on Halloween night. Thank you to you both very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Utah State University Professor of English, Pat Gant. Nothing hallowed in Halloween. As the season for ghosts and goblins and things that go bump in the night approaches, I grow increasingly nervous. Let me be frank. I hate Halloween. In fact, let me take it further. I actually despise Halloween. Perhaps I should speak to a therapist about this rather than to the kind listeners of UPR. I've nurtured this aversion for many decades, dating back to when I was in the second grade. On Halloween, my mother had agreed to let me wear my new coat to go trick-or-treating. It was a green confection with a faux chinchilla collar, which clearly marked me out as the seven-year-old fashionista I longed to be. My first stop was at my Uncle Paul's house. When I got to the door, I knocked boldly and called out, Trick or treat! 
only to have a cascade of water tossed all over me, ruining my hair, my shoes, and my glamorous new coat. Traumatized, I ran home to the sound of Paul's cackling laughter dimming in the background. That was the end of my going out on Halloween. No amount of candy corn could erase the upset from that night. Cut to Halloween 2013. With a variety of treats, I awaited the string of children who came to my door. There was an elderly person standing a few feet behind the line, a man I took to be the grandfather of one of the tiny goblins and superheroes who came for treats. How sweet, I thought. He's watching over the little ones. But when they departed, he moved forward, alone. It creeped me out that he was trick-or-treating at his age. It creeped me out even further that he had on a full-face mask. Quickly, I turned the deadbolt on the storm door. Let me in. I have something for you, he said, never identifying himself, never removing the mask that hid his entire face. Facetious as always, I thought. Whatever it is, buddy, I don't want it. No, thank you, I replied, with as much composure as I could muster. To my surprise, he grabbed the handle of the storm door, shaking it vigorously and trying to force his way in. You've got to let me in, he shouted. Completely traumatized, I closed the inner door, leaving him outside yelling and struggling to get inside. My heart was thumping. So this year, those who come to my house on Halloween will find a bucket of treats outside the securely locked door. Let them help themselves until it is gone. I don't wish to diminish their pleasure, but I will be in hiding. Come on, November. This is Pat Gant. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.